0: Welcome to the Travel and Transformation show with me, your host, and my guest today, Nicoletta Heidegger. She is a licensed marriage family therapist, a sexologist, and she is the host of Sluts and Scholars podcast. Welcome today, Nicoletta. I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about a little bit about you, a little bit about your story, how you got
1: into this whole thing <laughs> this whole sex thing yes thank you for having me <laughs> so i grew up in los angeles um one of the one of the rare ones who was from here and came back here and so i you know was lucky to have some parents who were um more open than most parents in terms of talking about sex and relationships or just kind of allowing me to explore uh, myself and and relationships in that way and I was also lucky in that my mom got me into therapy early on when I was like 12 years old. Um, you know, I was having some of my own personal struggles and she was like, let's go to therapy. And I was very resistant, uh, at first, but she said, you know, um, you can just go and talk shit about me the whole time if you want. And I was like, great, sounds good. You know, angsty teenager. Um, And so I was lucky because, you know, I ended up seeing that therapist for a long time. She got me interested in the field of mental health. I saw how helpful it could be. And so, uh, you know, by the time I got to high school, you know, I was very interested in mental health, but also sex and sexuality. It was just always something that uh, was an interest of mine. And like I said, I had some support to kind of start exploring that. So I, I always ended up being the person in my friend group who people could come talk to about that kind of stuff or who wasn't afraid to like ask the questions. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if this is something I was born with, but I I definitely had sort of a, an attitude growing up as like a fuck the system kind of attitude, <laughs> like the, a challenger, if you will. And so I was always sort of interested in topics and subtopics that were uh, sort of in the shadows, or maybe not talked about a lot, or things that made people go, oh, you know. So I think that just sort of initially attracted me. Uh, so by the time I got to college, I worked at the like sexual health peer resource center. I had a sex column in the newspaper. Um, I studied psychology, uh, and it all just kind of kind of came together. And then when I was dating somebody in college, um, it really like honed in for me is like I was hooking up with somebody, you know, for sort of the first time dating somebody new. And I remember I gave him some feedback about what I wanted done differently. Uh, And I thought I, you know, was pretty experienced in how to do this nicely, not meanly, and and sort of asked for something I wanted differently. And he was like, I I know what I'm doing. And I was (laughs) like, okay. (laughs) So... All my personal experiences and then mixed with the, you know, schooling I was having just kind of all came together. Um, and, and in grad school, I, I studied uh, clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage family therapy. And, you know, we only had one pretty small class on human sexuality. So it was just, again, made clear how untalked about this was. So that pulled me in even more. and And here I am now working mostly in private practice, specializing in sex therapy.
0: That something that you said, okay, when you asked Mr. Man, yeah, Sir Boy, yeah, Sir Boy, (laughs) and he was like, I know what I'm doing. It's like, yeah, okay, honey, no, you don't, but (laughs) it just leads me into this question. It's like, what is the best way to ask for what you want sexually? I mean, and that, and even just taking a step back, what's the best way to figure out what you like? so that you can ask for what you want?
1: Yeah. Great question. So I think starting with the second question of like, how do you know what you want? And I work with a lot of people who, when we start talking about this, they're like, I don't know. Right. So I think first step in the figuring out what you want is to start practicing, giving yourself permission that you actually deserve to get some of the things that you want or all the, as many of the things as you can, that you want. Um, I think especially, you know, if you, depending on how you were raised, but I find this true, especially for people assigned female at birth, um, that they were taught, you know, to be good hostesses and to not ask for too much, to not rock the boat, um, which includes apparently hosting people inside of your vagina as well, um, without saying what (laughs) you want or need. And so I think it starts sometimes with undoing this old story that was taught to us that we can't have those things or that were too much to ask for those things. And so, you know, for that, it can be helpful obviously to go to a coach or a therapist, but one small way to start challenging that is bef- when you get up in the morning, before you do anything for anybody else, before you answer your texts, before you, um, you know, just respond to emails, before you pick up your phone, which is very hard, um, do something small that is just for you. That's just not for a goal, not for a to-do list, um, just for pleasure, just for fun, just because you want it. Um, even if it's just dancing a little bit to a song you like, having a cup of tea, um, this is going to start to challenge that narrative. Um, and then the next thing I would invite folks to try on, this is something I do with all my clients, is to help people find their yes. Um mm-hmm. And you may have heard me do this because I think we met at a, an event where I talked a bit about this. Yep. <laughs> but I invite people to think of like a, a person, a place, a thing, a meal, an event, a pet, like anything in their life that they know doesn't suck, basically. Um, and I learned this through um, a few different therapy approaches. One's called the trauma resiliency model. Another is called somatic experiencing. But it basically invites people to think of this thing and then to invite them to see if they can bring in all of their senses to experience that thing right now. So like, what does it feel like? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Um, How did you know that it was a thing that didn't suck, right? Like, do you feel warm in your chest? Do you notice a smile? Um, Do you feel at ease? Do you feel relaxed? Um, To help people start to understand that they do know what a yes feels like in their body. um, But oftentimes we just don't slow down enough to listen to that. Voice Mm. or that yes, right. Um, If people are struggling with that, sometimes I start with the no. You know, I pick something that I'm like, you know, you don't like. Maybe not like a ten level trauma, but something that you're like, I was not about that. Or sometimes I'll even say something that I think they might not like. um, Which I learned from sex educator Midori to ask something like, "Okay, well, is it okay if I like shave off all of your hair right now? Does that sound like a good idea to you?" (laughs) And then they can tell me what allows them to say okay no i actually don't want that. oh well how do you know that you don't want that? what in your body is telling you that's a no.
0: Mm. based on what you said it sounds like we can relate the same thing to sex. so if you well and and we have to remember as women yes you can have solo sex and you know that's totally cool right? because i think that having solo sex is a good way to figure out what you do like when you're with yourself. And then some of that can probably translate to what you do like with a partner. But when you're doing that, just thinking about, Oh yeah, this is nice. This is a yes. (laughs) It feels good. Yeah. And so um, now going back to the next question, once you've kind of gone there Mm -hmm. then how, how do you, say to that person who thinks they already know, right?
1: Yeah. So you want. You know, once you <laughs> right. So once you've done some of that work and, you know, I, I always encourage people to explore self-pleasure and explore their own body so they can continue to learn more of those yeses and what feels good for them, what they're wanting, um, you know, taking the time to do that self-exploration is really key. Um, so once they've done that, once you have some ideas for what you want, um, and, and you have maybe a little more confidence that you deserve to ask for those things, um, it becomes a lot easier to ask, um, because then if you get an answer that, you know, doesn't feel good for you, you can stay a little more, um, steadfast in like, okay, well, if that's not something you're willing to do or learn how to do that might not work for me. Right. Right. Um, so in terms of asking somebody else, uh, luckily that person that I asked was open to feedback after that initial response. Um <laughs> I think you know that it, that initial response is probably based on their narrative of like oh if you're a man you know what to do, right, right. kind of thing and so I gave some feedback and I was like look I appreciate that you are feeling confident in what you've learned but like what your past partner may have liked is different than what I like. And I feel safe enough with you to ask for something that I'm wanting. um, And I would like for you to be open to learning my body. And when you say, you know, I know what I'm doing, that doesn't actually support my pleasure. Um, And so luckily this person was able to hear that and course correct. Um, (laughs) But some people aren't. Um, But in general, I would say when you're asking for something you want, Um, I like to invite people to use the shit sandwich technique. And so this is like, say the nice thing, say the hard thing that might feel a little shitty and then say the nice thing. So, you know, for example, it might sound something like, um, hey, you know, I'm enjoying spending so much time with you. um, And I feel so safe and comfortable with you that I feel like I can ask for what I want because I know that you care about me and my pleasure. Um, And so, you know, I'm I'm feeling like, you know, sometimes when you are touching me this way, like, I actually really like it when you touch me this other way. Um, you know, can I can I show you what I mean? And then afterwards saying like, uh, you know, thank you so much for taking that time. It's like such a turn on when you're willing to listen to me. Um, so, you know, saying saying it as a framed in that way, I think makes it hard for someone to be defensive. Right. Um Second way would be to frame it as a compliment and focus on the thing you're wanting as opposed to focusing on the thing you don't like. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I find that sometimes when people are experiencing something they don't like, they're just like, don't do that. Stop that. Um, And so it's more sort of in like the negative as opposed to focusing on, oh, let's redirect to the thing I do like, right? So that might sound instead of being like, oh, don't touch me like that. It would be like, oh, you know, I was really liking it more when you were over here. Like, oh, that felt so good. Can we go back there? Um, or like, hey, remember when you did that thing? Like, I that was so great. I really would love some more of that. Um, like it was, you know, so wonderful. And so, you know, framing it as a compliment and sort of going to what is the sort of positive on it leaves people feeling a little more open uh, mm. to receiving. Um, you know, and, and if you're with somebody who Continues to not, you know, respond in a way that is supportive. Um, it might be time to go to some therapy or to a coach or to assess. huh, what is attracting me to somebody that is not willing to have these conversations? Can I also ask them? I think another thing uh, that comes to mind too is like if they're continuing to respond poorly or they are maybe hearing you think they're hearing you, but they're still not doing it. People learn in different ways. Right. And people like to receive feedback in different ways. So ask them. Be like, maybe frame it as yourself first. Be like, hey, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, showing up in ways that work for you. Um, I just want to let you know here's how like if there's something you're not liking, here's how I would prefer to receive feedback. I'd love for you to say this, this, and this in this way. Um, and then, oh, I'd like to ask you that same question. Like, you know, if there's something that I'm wanting a little differently, how do you prefer to receive feedback? how do you prefer that I let you know Um, and and having that dialogue and and asking them like, okay, well, how do you best learn things as well can be helpful. Like I've had, I've had clients in partnership who were asking for the thing they wanted and it seemed like their partner was listening, Mm -hmm. but then they kept like not doing it. And Mm -hmm. granted it takes, there's a learning curve. It takes people a while to do something new and practicing it. But um, it turned out that that person receiving the feedback um, had some, some different ways that they learned, had some like neurodiversity and how they took in new information. And so the way that their partner was asking for it, they just like, weren't processing it. But when Mm -hmm. they like, were able to watch like a how to video and like practice hands-on on on their own, then they were like, Oh, now it's making sense.
0: Oh. And that is interesting because that's not
1: necessarily something that you think about in the moment. Totally. And, and look, in the moment, it's going to be harder to have these conversations, which is why I think it's so great to have them before you're horizontal. Yes, I
0: was about to, as I mean, I sh- I'm listening, but I was also thinking that some of the best times that I have been able to have conversations like that are completely away from a sexual context of, yeah, like, we're in the middle of things. Like exactly. We're, we're watching TV and it's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> you know, and it's like, let's talk about this for a second. Right. And sometimes I, I feel like in my experience, that has just made it a lot easier mm-hmm. because now it's not like it's it's harder. to It is harder to get defensive because now we're just having a conversation about a thing. Yeah. As opposed to not saying that, okay, you were doing something and now I would like something else. Now right. it's just a, it's a conversation and it's
1: like neutral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it can be tender in those moments of passion, right? To start having those conversations then, like I prefer to have them before. Um, I actually had someone on my podcast recently and I, I often use her framework to talk through this with people. And um, her name's um, Dr. Eveline Dacker, and she has this framework called STARS. Mm -hmm. Um, It's basically just an acronym to follow to like have these enhanced elevator pitch safer sex conversations with people, whether you're dating or it's a one-time thing. Um, And for me, I usually engage in those before I do anything sexual with anybody, be that a partner or somebody new. Um, And she teaches classes on it too. So I think if you're like, I really don't know how to have these conversations, like luckily there's classes and resources to learn how to do that.
0: And can you repeat her name, please, just in case anybody didn't catch it?
1: Um, yeah, that's Dr. Evelyn Dacker, the STARS framework. Okay, perfect. Okay, so here's a question that I
0: really want to ask you, because so many women have body issues Mm -hmm. And, like, what is the best way to to love your body or even just be neutral about it so you can kind of just eliminate the body image issues? Because, you know, there's fat shaming and then there's, oh, then you're too skinny and then you're not curvy enough. And then you don't look like this person and then there's comparison. And it's always like you're getting bombarded with... A bunch of different messages so how can you just be internal yeah the go- the goldilocks issue yeah like how can you just look at yourself mm-hmm. and be like
1: I'm okay like do you have any suggestions for that absolutely so I mean first I just want to like normalize why this is so hard for most of us you know we're getting inundated with this kind of messaging all around us about, you know, how our bodies should look and comparing ourselves and with social media and other media. um, We're basically like fighting a war against those negative voices, you know, every day. And so I I don't believe that anyone can necessarily ever like fully overcome it in the sense that it's like that, like loving your body is like a goal that you achieve. And then you're like, I'm never going to be affected by any other input ever again. Um, I think that's like maybe for some people, but I, I think mostly it's a practice. It's a muscle. Um, it's an ongoing thing that you continue to practice, that you continue to fill your arsenal with to combat those voices and other narratives when they pop in because they're all around us. <clears throat> so I think, you know, first, there's a few different approaches. Um, you know, I think initially there was like the body positive uh, movement. And that was more about like, you know, all bodies are good bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was more of a movement of like radical self-love. So radical self-love was more uh, sort of like we acknowledge that we're not going to love every part of our body all the time and that's okay, but you're sort of still offering love and care to those parts that you don't think are the best all the time. Uh, And then I had someone on my podcast recently who talked more about a concept called body neutrality. Um, That's Jesse Nealand, who wrote a, they wrote a great book on this, um, if you're interested and also offer coaching and things like that. And so that's more like an approach of that. They kind of share that our body is the least interesting thing about us. So Mm -hmm. to sort of get more like curious and non judgmental about why we feel the things that we feel and Get connected to where those narratives and voices come from to start acknowledging that it's like not a sentiment that we just innately have, but was given to us. So when we think, like, oh, I'm not looking good, to be curious about, like, well, what's that about? Where did I learn that? Oh, that's because the culture in which I live emphasizes this kind of body. And that's like what I've been fed by else um and so their their sort of approach to body neutrality or this body neutrality movement um is more about like being less judgmental and curious about things about your body which also includes when you have judgments about it to not further judge yourself for having judgments to be like oh it makes sense that i'm having this because i grew up in this society that um forces me to do that all the time <clears throat> and so as I said, you know, this is a this is a practice. There's some great tools and resources that I just listed, but if you're listening and you're wondering what you could do right now, um, I would say first step would be to get clear on the messaging that you received that was non-consensually given to you. Mm-hmm. Right? What are the communities, families, spaces that I exist in and what am I learning about those, right? Have they told me that only certain um, race and color things are uh, are beautiful. Have they told me that only certain body types are beautiful? Well, who taught me that? Where did that come from? Right? So first important to get clear on who fed you these other narratives so you can start to differentiate, is that actually my thought and voice, or was this, you know, just dropped onto me? Right. Um, so get clear on on where that came from. Um, second thing that you can do like right now, in a hands-on way to get this practice started, uh, would be to pick a part of your body that you're not feeling that great about. Um, maybe one that like, isn't a 10 level horrible relationship, but one that you're like, "Mm, I struggle with my relationship with you sometime. Maybe, maybe your belly, whatever it is. Um, and while you're already doing like a shower or something like that, I would invite you to spend like a few extra moments on giving that part of yourself some love and affection and attention. So that doesn't mean you have the best, you know, like going on this like a zero to 10 thing, but more like seeing if you can at least come up with facts about this part of your body, about how it functions. Like, Oh, my stomach. Well, you help hold me up when I'm sitting. I see that. Thank you for holding up my body. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, even if you don't quite believe it yet, um, maybe having like some kind of relational repair, almost like you would if you were mean to a physical partner, right? Of being like, I'm going to rub you with some soap in the shower for a little bit of an extra moment and be like, hey, I'm sorry that I've been so mean to you. Like I'm working on it. Um, And if you can't even come up with the words, maybe just using your hands to spend a little extra time with that part of your body, a little extra soap in the shower, a little extra lotion afterwards. And this is going to start to, you know, shift some new neural pathways in your brain that like, this part of you, even if you're not loving it every single moment of the day, that it's still deserving of touch or it's still deserving of a relationship. It's still deserving of or capable of some pleasure. Um, So seeing if you can find anything on it that evokes some pleasure as well can be a great, a great stepping stone.
0: I love those. And you guys, obviously you can't see me right now because she's talking and I'm like totally like nodding and agreeing. (laughs) But yeah, I really, I really love those ideas because they're so simple to get started, mm. you know, and just to treat your body as a friend or even starting out as an acquaintance. Yeah. And it's like, let me get to know you better. Right. Let me treat you nicely. Let me talk to you nicely. I love mm. that whole concept because we are creating new neural pathways as these things go mm-hmm. and then you're rewriting that whole story yeah and then the next thing you know you have a completely different belief and a different outlook and, and for something right. so simple
1: I love that yeah well and like you said it, it does often have to start small you know I think a lot of times people go and make these big grand ideas or promises um or big plans for like how they're going to do things to feel better in their skin. And it's hard to maintain those. It's hard to sustain those. And if they're too big and too challenging, um, yeah, it's it's not going to be sustainable. And so we do have to start like annoyingly small on a lot of these things. But I will say that research shows that if you're wanting to change a thought pattern or a behavior, that it can be easier to do If you accompany it with something that is playful or pleasurable. Mm. And so as opposed to just like, oh, this is really hard. I'm going to do this really hard practice. um, Finding if there's some way that you could do one of these practices in a way that is playful or pleasurable. So like, that's why I say like putting the lotion on, can you at least find something that feels good and putting this on, even if it's just the smell of the lotion? Um, Or maybe you take up some kind of like movement or dance or music thing where you're able to like use that part of your body. So even if you're like, I don't love the way it looks, you're like, whoa, I'm having fun with my body doing something fun, Yeah, you know? So finding something playful and pleasurable where you can emphasize that more research shows that it helps, uh, create new neural pathways at a, at a faster, uh, rate and, and sort of creates a, a, a deeper shift.
0: Wow. And that sounds like the, as the shift is deeper, then it becomes more permanent and easier. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what do you wish that more women knew about their bodies when it comes to sex?
1: Mm, good question. I mean, firstly, like, going back to uh, Sir Boy that we were talking about. um, (laughs) I think one thing is that they're all different, right? Um, That they all like different things and that there are lots of potentials for pleasure zones all over your body. And so it's okay to, you know, like things that are different. Your body is, each body is different. You know, it's up to you to kind of help people learn what feels good for you. Um, I think I often tell people this combination of like you're special and you're normal kind of thing. Right. <laughs> right? So like uh you're special and that you are a unique individual with these unique intersections and you're normal in the sense that most people have probably felt some kind of similar thing that you have, or there's someone out there who's experienced, you know, this sort of collective conscience idea um that we're connected and and have a lot of similar human experiences. So this sort of you're special and you're normal. Um I think another thing, maybe you've talked about this on your show, maybe you haven't, but a big thing that a lot of people with vaginas don't know is about their clitoris. (laughs) And so uh, a lot of folks with vaginas don't know that their clitoris is actually a large structure that is made up of both internal and external um, forms and tissue. And so firstly, a lot of people maybe have never even looked at their own genitals, which I think is an important thing to know is like, what what's going on? What do things look like? And to start with your bits. Um, and then with the clitoris piece, folks who do know that, you know, what it's about, um, think that it's just this sort of uh, Little nodule at the top uh, of where your lips are, basically where the the pubic mound is. Um, so people think that it's just this like little thing there, uh, but in reality, it actually has in an internal structure uh, that include legs and bulbs and all this like nerve ending tissue. Um, and so very important for people with vaginas to know about this because they're sitting on a gold mine of a <laughs> lot of pleasure tissue. Um, and a lot of people think that it's like just that one little piece. Um, and in that same vein, I really like to also tell people with vaginas that most people with vaginas only about Five to 15, at least studies show only about five to 15% of people with vaginas can orgasm just from penetration. And so, a lot of I get a lot of clients and people who write in that are like, What's wrong with me? Why am I not orgasming from sex? And then I say, Well, what, how do you define sex? What's the kind of sex you're having? And they say, Well, you know, penis and vagina penetration. And I'm like, Well, that's why, because your body may require other stimulation of the clitoris, of the nipples, of other parts of your body um, in order to experience more pleasure. Um, And so those are some of the top things I would say. Um, But like I said, every body is different. So it's not necessarily up to me to be like, here's what's happening with your body. I want to invite you to get curious and like go adventuring to see about your body.
0: Right. Well, and it, interestingly, that you brought up orgasm because I was going to ask about that. <laughs> Perfect. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Well, yeah, because orgasms are amazing, but some people, unfortunately, don't have them or mm-hmm. have trouble having them, either solo or with a partner. Yeah, and then again, it goes back to what you're saying. It's like it's you. It's you're normal and special. So it doesn't mean that because you're not orgasming that something is wrong with you. Yeah. But if you're not and you want to like, what is a good way or ways or resources that you can turn to, to help you?
1: Totally. I think first it's important to figure out what might be going on physically. If there's a struggle with orgasm, once you've ruled out if anything physical is going on, um, then you know it can be helpful to go to a sex coach or a sex therapist to to get some support on this. Um, there's also some great classes online. Um, I think I have a colleague Vanessa Marin who has a good one about this. There's also a website called Beducated, like B-E-D, Bed Educated, Beducated, mm-hmm. um, cool. <laughs> that has some some great resources. Um, but oftentimes the reasons why I see people are not orgasming, one you know could be a physical thing going on. Two, um, they're struggling with that permission to receive and to Mm -hmm. feel pleasure. Uh, Three, they have not, they don't know about their anatomy. um, So they're expecting it to happen with certain things. Uh, Four, they're not giving themselves enough time and space to explore. Um, A lot of people maybe take longer than they're giving themselves time for. Mm. um, And they haven't spent enough time exploring their own body. And so- that's another reason is people like are rushing and they're not spending enough time. They're not actually doing what works for them. Uh, they don't know their body. Uh, five would be like shame. I think there's a lot of people who have shame about what they like, what their body can do. Um, so they get in their head, they get, you know, out of their body and into their head. And so depending on what sort of the culprit or culprits are is going to determine um, how we address that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, if it's something physical. There's going to be physical things to address that. If it is, uh, you know, something around not knowing your body, then it's re-educating, right? It's spending time to explore what your body looks like, what it's interested in, really carving out special time to do that. Watching videos, reading books like Emily Nagoski's "Come as You Are" is a great book if you'd prefer to read rather than watch video. Um, so, spending some time and considering your relationship to your pleasure as a relationship right? Not just something that you like achieve, that this is a relationship that you build over time. Um, Last thing I think I will say is within this same vein, a lot of people aren't sure if they've had an orgasm. And so with this, um, I do like to help people challenge their definition of sex, uh, their definition of pleasure, and their definition of orgasm. And Mm -hmm. so I think people have an idea of what sex, pleasure, and orgasm is supposed to look like, And so I try to help challenge people what their definition is so we can expand it, which makes more sex possible, more pleasure possible, and more types of orgasmic experiences possible so it's not just, you know, genital or penetrative or um, have to look or feel a certain way because people can have lots of orgasmic experiences. um, And why not challenge what that can be and look like? I love that Um, because... And
0: then I just think also sometimes the same person needs different amounts of time at different times of the month, because maybe it's, uh-huh. it's a hormonal thing, you know, or maybe it's like you've had a really stressful day. So maybe today you need an hour when yesterday you only needed 15 minutes. Yeah. So I think those are also, um, so I like when you say you broaden the definitions of things So that you can bring all of that in to say, oh, okay, well, maybe this is what's going on today. And Mm -hmm. maybe I do need that full hour to to get where I need to go. And then maybe it's just not even a destination. If you get there, you get there. But maybe it's all about the pleasure journey that you're on Mm -hmm. you know, instead of making it a goal, because it's like, if you have a goal and then you don't accomplish the goal and you feel like a failure, right? Whereas if you don't have a goal and you're just on this pleasure journey, then
1: it's all good. Yeah. We're just having fun together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And I want to echo what you said too, like people can experience different um, intensities of pleasure and orgasm throughout their cycle. Um, And also if you have some issue with hormones or potentially you're taking a medication that would kind of fit into those physical causes, but you know, it could be helpful to kind of track and notice if things change um, throughout you know, throughout the month for you, um, or just at different times in your life, right? Like if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling tired, um, you know, we're not, we're not robots, we're not machines. So it's going to look different, uh, at different times. And mostly we just need to give ourselves that, that time. Um, I've found for myself, and this isn't true for everyone, but some people who don't take the time, they think that like, you know, they're like, I don't, feel, I don't think when I touch myself. Um, and that's similar for me too. If I jump right into touching my genitals without some kind of warm-up and some kind of build, um, it feels good after a while, but I I don't feel super sensitized. So like the the sensations are pretty dull, uh kind of low. Like I could probably have an orgasm, but it's like a, it's kind of like a. You know like that's all right that that was like take it or leave it um versus if i spend a lot of time and i'm like reading some erotica or watching some content that is exciting to me and i'm really taking my time i'm teasing myself or what we call edging kind of like you know like maybe even just starting over the clothes for an extended period of time um incorporating some toys and and really playing like that results in a lot more pleasure for me um so if I don't give myself that time, it's like, fine, you know, it's okay. But it's uh, that feels a little more like a cleaning of the pipes than like we're having a nice date and sort of like you imagine dating a partner, right? Like, yeah, sometimes it's nice to just sort of sit on the couch or like give a, you know, have a quick hug or whatever, but it can also be nice when you like get ready and get dressed up and go to a nice dinner and go to some fun thing that you've planned together and like right. have this whole... Date together. So the the same thing is true for your relationship with your body and your pleasure.
0: Yeah, it's like I love that. So it's like you're having a date, a date. It's yeah. an event. So it's an event. Sometimes you have, you know, the quickie that you <laughs> it's like, let's get
1: her yeah. done. Yeah. Another time you want to have an event. Right. And and being not judgmental about yourself of like, okay, I know I'm not putting in all the time. So this time we'll just look this way, you know? So it's, it's okay. We don't always have the time to have an event, but like then not judging yourself for having it look or feel a certain way. If you're not actually investing the time and energy. Okay. So
0: now I have a set of questions that are going to not really go left, just make a little turn. So I just wanted to ask you about, first of all, the name of your podcast is sluts and scholars. Now, the word slut, for me, at least growing up, has had a very negative connotation, you know? Yeah. And um, so you hear some, even women calling it, she's such a slut, right. you know? And it just sounds horrible. So what made you choose that particular name? And how are you maybe changing the connotation of the word?
1: Right. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I I chose that is because I I am trying to redefine um, the relationship with it and sort of take it back, if you will, Um, that it's okay to be a sexual person um, who likes, yeah, just a person who likes sex. Um, So I initially uh, came up with the name. um, I was actually at the spa with a friend of mine, um, Nina Hartley, who is a a long time, a porn performer and educator and just all around fabulous human. And we were just talking about like judgments we had both received in our respective careers and spaces for like being, you know, outward about sex or being sexual people or for her being in the adult industry um, and just judgments, you know, around that and and being taken seriously as a professional and in, in other areas of our life. And so we were just kind of lamenting that it's, you know, why can't we be a slut and a scholar, right? Someone who is um, taken seriously as a professional, whatever profession that might be, and also enjoying sex or a lot of sex or not having sex. Just like to me, being a slut is a it doesn't mean you're having a lot of sex. Um, It means like respecting and being in relationship with your own pleasure. You know, so that can include not having sex, that can include people who don't like to have sex, that can include people who are having a lot of sex, um, or people who just think about sex a lot. Like to me, it's sort of a broad spectrum. So just redefining it as, you know, someone who is in touch with their sexuality and also can acknowledge that that doesn't immediately mean that there's something about them that is bad or wrong or being not taken seriously as a professional. So my new sort of um secondary title for the podcast or mission is like the podcast for professionals who prioritize pleasure. So like whatever profession you are, that you can be a sexual being and, um, and that's great. And so, yeah, for me, I like the word, I think obviously for some people, they may have, um, past trauma with the word myself included. Um, and for me working through some of my own stuff around that is to sort of, renarrate and redefine my connection and my relationship with that word and that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that it will invite other people to do the same. I really, I, I really like that because
0: I've even heard somebody use it with me recently, um not calling me one, but just saying, oh, I don't want to be with a slut. And it's like, well, what exactly does that even mean? Right? Because right. what does that mean to you? And then, you know, he went on to give his definition. It's like, but isn't that something that you do with some of the people that you go out with? So are you telling me that you go out with sluts, but you don't want a slut? So we had a whole discussion around it, topic for a different day. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's so ingrained in society and the way people use it that I I like the fact that you're trying to redefine it and make it not negative. So that just takes me into how do you define kink as a sexologist and a sex-positive educator?
1: Yeah. So for me, I mean, I think when people think of kink and BDSM, um, they think of like dark dungeons, pain, uh, leather, you know, and uh, (laughs) it can be all of those things, Um, but that's just one variation. So like in general, I think you know kink and bdsm is uh folks who are just sort of exploring what else is out there sensation and experience wise you know so people who are maybe looking outside of the kind of um whatever societal definition is of what sex is supposed to look like so people who are kind of wanting to to challenge it and look a little more into um taboo um but as brought in a broad definition i think kink is just like an adult playground for adults to consensually explore a variety of sensations and experiences and pathways to pleasure you know so it's it can look like a lot of things it can feel like a lot of things um it doesn't just have to fit into you know what what people the the 50 shades of gray you know framework (laughs) right um So, for me, it's like I said, you know, the the dark dungeon pain vibe can be one part of it, but that's just one sensation and experience. So, I think it's just being open to the idea that there are a lot of other cool sensations, experiences, roles, and ways that we can play with power and the shadow parts of ourselves and pleasure and and all of that, you know?
0: So, then what would
1: you say to somebody who's
0: starting to discover kink like later in life and, and it's just not sure? about the best way to explore it or, or, you know, maybe even feeling like, oh my God, is this normal? Or should I even be doing this? Because I know like, especially for women, a lot of us have good girl syndrome, right? And when you start talking about sex, then are you still a good girl? (laughs) You know, when you want to start exploring different things, and that whole chatter starts to pop into your head. So... Like, how, how would you help somebody who came to you, like, later in life and like, you know what, I'm kind of thinking that this stuff is kind of interesting, but I don't really know how to
1: go about figuring it out. You mean the good girl stuff? No,
0: well, just getting into kink,
1: right? Oh, because when you were saying that, I was like, if if people are struggling with the good girl thing, there's ways to make that kinky and fun, you know? There's ways <laughs> <Okay>. to... <laughs> like I, I want to normalize. I think there's a negative connotation that if we are working with our trauma or shadow parts within our sexuality, that it's like bad and means there's something wrong with us. But um, some people are into things just because they're into it. But a lot of us do eroticize our traumas and things in our life. Um, and when done intentionally and with you know insight and support, it can be healing and corrective. So, for example, in kink, for like the good girl thing, you can find people who will call you a good girl when you are doing slutty things. And then <laughs> you can re-narrate that framework. Um, so in terms of if you're interested and starting to be curious about this, um, I would say, you know, start start listening to podcasts, start reading books, start going to classes, like start finding community, start seeing that there's this out there that you're like, not alone. And just to start exposing yourself in a safe container to things that are possible out there. Um, so, you know, I talk about kink on my podcast, lots and scholars, you can listen to some of those episodes or there's a lot of other, other great ones. Um, you know, there are classes, um, that people have, um, like, Professional dominatrixes will have classes um, where they talk about like, you know, Kink 101, or there's like events um in your usually in your local area that are like intro events to this kind of stuff, um, as well as classes online. And so yeah, my invitation is to just start being curious about what's out there and um can start connecting with community um to see what's of interest. And then if you feel so called to. You know, you can go to a coach or a therapist to talk more in depth about it. Um, Or if you're really feeling ready to get going, hire a pro dom. So this is a professional, um, you know, dominant, um, and they have you know spaces that are called dungeons. Again, I know I said it's not all dark and dungeony, but like (laughs) you know, there there are play spaces where you can go, and there are professionals who are trained to help people explore what sensations they might like or might be into. Um, and you can do that with the support of a professional.
0: So then what is like, what's the best way to find a therapist or a coach who's comfortable or friendly toward alternative relationships or lifestyles and kink yeah. and all that? Cause I think the worst thing that can happen is somebody goes to a therapist or a coach and then they yeah. feel judged yeah, because of what they're into or right. the type of relationship they will want to have, whether it's poly or monogamous or non-monogamous yeah. or whatever. And so how do you find somebody
1: who's friendly toward all of that and can understand it? Yeah. Um, great question. So there's a few different ways to figure that out. Um nowadays most people who are trained in that will list it on their website. Um, you know, who will say, like, I specialize in sex therapy. They will list their training. Um they will list like I see you know, people of all, um, gender identities or I'm kink. Uh, they would say something like I'm kink aware and affirming or kink informed. Um, I'm non-monogamous and affirming, um, things like that. There are also some directories. Um, so while at least in the state of California, like sex therapy doesn't have its own sort of guiding, um, governing board, um, there is like a national certification group called Asect, which is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Um, some folks are are members and are certified through that. Some are not for a variety of reasons. Um, doesn't mean if they're not that they're you know it, they're yeah. There's a lot of reasons why people join or not, but you can look in their directory to see like who are sex therapists in my area to start narrowing it down, and then. Have a list of questions when you call them. And if they're not willing to answer those questions, they might not be a good fit. So you might want to ask questions like, what kind of training have you done around kink and BDSM? Do you work with clients on these topics? What kind of training do you have around alternative relationships? Um, is that something that you see and are practiced with? Right. right. If they're not, you know, that's that's gonna answer your question. Um, there's also different like cities or states will have them, but there's often like you can Google like kink affirming directory or like kink aware professional directory. um, And there'll be lists on that as well. Um, But yeah, I think uh, ASECT can be a place to start um, or just as you're Googling, Google that kink aware therapist in my area, Um, non-monogamous sex therapist in my area. You know, people who have have this listed on their site, who have extra training and, you know, feel free to ask them about it. I will say though that, A lot of folks who have these specializations um, may not take insurance. Um, That doesn't mean that there aren't people in insurance that have this um, knowledge, but I see folks that, you know, it, it is sort of a specialized training, human sexuality. And so some of those folks don't take insurance for a variety of reasons.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that's really good to know. So you guys listening, now you have some resources because, again, your relationship. With your coach or your therapist, it's like the most important part of, well, to me, maybe I should say one mm-hmm. of the most important parts of yeah. Um, getting help and feeling good about what is happening between the two of you. So if you're looking yeah. for somebody who can understand what you're going through and who is aware, then... I think Nicoletta has just given us some really good questions and ways to find somebody who can really understand what you're going through. So you don't feel judged, you know, so you can Mm -hmm. normalize what's happening in your life and then have your transformation or or whatever it is that you're looking for. So if people want to find you, how do they do that?
1: Yeah. If you're interested in following what I do um, I'm on Instagram at sluts and scholars or therapy with Nicoletta. Um, you can also, you know, listen to my show or find me through slutsandscholars.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I also have a website um, for myself and my practice, Nicoletta V Heidegger.com, which is a mouthful. <laughs> um, so you can probably more easily find it through Instagram. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: You are so welcome. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I love talking about this stuff. So hopefully we can get together again and maybe go down a different road altogether.
1: Yeah, thank you for having a platform where you're willing to talk about this stuff. It's needed. Yeah, definitely. So
0: thank you so much. And hopefully we'll talk again soon.